As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. How you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Um, looking forward to uh, winding down for Christmas, final few weeks. Um, today, though, before we get there, we wanted to pick up our our series we've been doing over the last few months about the, what are we calling it, the kind of biblical big picture, the kind of big story that runs through theology and which kind of we're sharing because it kind of underpins how we are approaching a lot of the issues that we discuss on the podcast. So, so we've done two episodes so far. We did the first, we started off with creation and then we did fall. And today we're reaching uh, redemption, the next stage in the story, the next chapter in the story. But before we kick into that, do you want to briefly recap what we were kind of talking about creation and then the fall? Yeah. So, so this was an idea, this, this big picture of these four foundations of the this the Bible story, I found incredibly helpful. Uh, I first came across it as a student, and I, it, since then it's been a a framework that uh, I've, I found very fruitful. And it basically provides a way of addressing almost any topic from these four different perspectives, um, and and they are creation, fall. Uh, redemption and then new creation or consummation and um of course in they track the big story of the narrative of, of the bible um the the narrative arc um of salvation history so starting with creation that, that god makes this amazing uh, cosmos uh, as a gift of grace um and it's fundamentally good and, and and reflects his character. And then the story of the fall, this uh, mysterious uh, entry of evil and the contamination uh, and the destructive effects of of evil. And um, and then the, the the big we've 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 done we've had two episodes, haven't we? Looking at that, and, and now we come to this the third out of the four, uh, which is redemption. And uh, which is very much the good news. Um, I mean, literally, of course, that's that's what gospel means. Um, and it's the good news that that evil doesn't have the last word. Yeah. 
And I guess just before we launch into it, we're not becoming a theology podcast, but the reason we're spending so much time on this is that when you're when you're addressing some of, you know, some really some cutting edge scientific development or some kind of deep ethical quandary that, you know, has only been enabled by some breakthrough in technology, it, it's it's easy to be a bit lost at sea sometimes about, you know, how do we as Christians, how are we supposed to think about this? I've never, there's nothing, there's no verse that I can turn to. There's no established kind of church teaching on this topic. And so actually refreshing and reminding ourselves on the ground on which we stand and the theological underpinning and the foundation gives us the framework, the lens through which we can then look at some other kind of esoteric or or cutting bleeding edge idea or development and say, actually, here are some basic good practice, 2000 year old theological principles that we can apply to help us figure out what on earth we're supposed to think about X, Y and Z as believers. I think that's absolutely right. And, and uh, I've often had that feeling when, when I'm trying to address some, some challenging new uh, issue. And, and at the moment, you know, one of the most challenging and difficult is the whole issue of artificial intelligence uh, and what that means. And so I've fallen back on this um, framework again to try and think about AI and technology in, in this fourfold perspective. How does it reflect the fundamental goodness of creation, how can it become contaminated by evil? And then third, how can it be redeemed? How can it, how can good come out of, um, uh, how, how can good be restored in what, in what is a broken and damaged reality? And then finally, in, in a future episode, we'll look at the future hope. Where, where, where are we going? What's God's ultimate plan? for this cosmos okay so today we're doing redemption um what do we mean by redemption what are we talking about when we when we use that kind of piece of christian jargon well i think it's just interesting to compare uh, a christian approach with you know the other major religious and philosophical thought forms um in, in world history Be, because i would want to say that, that the christian approach is is pretty unique in its response to evil. So if you were to take, for instance, the the ancient Eastern religions of Buddhism and Hinduism, the fundamental response to suffering is to to regard this uh, as a form of illusion. Uh, And and what we've got to do is is come to an, an awareness that suffering has no ultimate reality. Um. If, if you were to take the ancient Stoicism, this would, would emphasize the importance of, of, of a uh, resilience, uh, of refusal to be cowed by evil, to accept it, but to remain with a dogged resilience. To endure. Um, to endure, that's right. If you, if you were to take the perspective of modern scientific materialism, it would say... Basically, there's no such thing. Morality, this idea of good and evil, these are just inventions of the human mind. There is no, there just is. Uh, physics just is. Reality just is. Uh, so again, it's a kind of denial of the ultimate nature of evil. Um, and yet, deep in the human heart, there is a longing for a better story. And and that's really what, what Christianity, the, this fundamental uh, good news, is that God, through the power, his own power and, and grace, 
is able to take the the greatest evil that is possible and to transform that into blessing and healing. And, and, and I see that as really that's the ultimate story of the cross, uh, again, which is, which is utterly unique to Christianity, that God uh, takes evil seriously, but he enters into evil in himself. He takes the suffering, uh, takes evil into his own body and destroys it. Uh, death is destroyed by new life. It actually has echoes of what we talked about last time in the fall and about how a kind of a Christian approach to evil um, is is feels to me a more kind of grounded and realistic one because, you know, we're talking about how it doesn't it doesn't um, say that everything is awful. It doesn't say that everything is good. It says, you know, there is good, but it is marred by evil. And I guess redemption is the kind of corollary of that, that we're not saying that, you know, evil doesn't exist. We're not saying that there's nothing to be done about evil. We're saying, yes, evil is takes evil seriously. It doesn't deny it. It doesn't pretend it's not there. It doesn't but it doesn't fall into despair and kind of nihilism. It says, actually, God um, enters into the evil and, and transforms it for good. Uh, and um, that just seems a kind of a quite believable, a quite human. Well, it's not human, it's divine, but, you know, approach to to, to the question <laughs> Well, is it believable? I mean, that that's that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Because for an awful lot of people out there, this is just naive romanticism. Mm. You know, the, the idea that that good can be overcome, can overcome evil, that 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 ultimately evil will be destroyed. I mean, you know, there, there are many cynical voices. There have been many cynical voices. There still are. Uh, you know, I think of, of Marx describing Christianity as the opiate of the people. You know, you you can fill their heads with all these hmm. romantic ideas while we get on with the serious business of the revolution. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, many psychologists and uh, psychoanalysts would say this is just wish fulfillment. You know, this is this is believing in a fairy godmother. Hmm. Because because reality is just too awful to stare at it bleakly. We need we need to persuade ourselves there's something better. I mean, yeah. Well, what is the Christian response to that then? I mean, is it too good to be true? Is really the question we're asking. Um, it is. Is it is it a is it a comforting fairy story? because we don't want to acknowledge that the world is just, you know, nasty, brutish and short, or, or is there actual solid grounds and evidence for believing that the redemptive story of Jesus is something that can sustain, you know, you can build your life around that and it's not going to be disappointed in the end. And, and this is the claim of the Christian faith, isn't it? Going all the way back to the, the claim of the resurrection that, that, Jesus triumphed over death. Um, you know, those, those resurrection encounters um, were encounters with, with life and healing and blessing uh, where there just seemed to be utter destruction. Mm. And, and then the early Christians, uh, their lives demonstrated that, that um, of being transformed by the power of Christ. Hmm. And the Christian claim, isn't it, that, is that that 
that redemptive power continues um, up to the present day. And certainly, you know, I've had the privilege of, of seeing lives that have been transformed by God's power, of seeing uh, sometimes, you know, in my own medical experience, of seeing intense suffering and loss and pain, and then discovering that miraculously something good comes out of out of the evil. There, there is something of love, something of healing, even in the most terrible and, and tragic circumstances. And I think what's perhaps unique about the Christian kind of redemptive story is that it's not just a cosmic universal reality, but it's also rooted in an individual time, person and place in history. And, you know, and if, you know, as Paul says, you know, if Jesus Jesus didn't rise from the dead in AD 33-ish, just outside Jerusalem in in, in ancient Palestine, province of Palestine in the Roman Empire, then 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 none of this is true. Um and so you can zoom in and, you know, examine the evidence for, you know, who rolled the stone and, you know, why was the tomb empty and, and you know, look at the various competing theories about what happened. And if you are convinced, as I am, that that what the gospel writers record is true and that Jesus was crucified and on the third day he did rise from the dead, then you can then zoom out and take that and say, well, th- then the, the cosmic universal implications are, are what we're talking about are, are that that evil doesn't have the last word and it's this kind of powerful paradox isn't it that it's simultaneously a kind of eternal um cosmic spiritual act in salvation history and yet it's also a particular discrete historical event that you can examine the sources and the evidence and and um and decide for yourself absolutely right and the interesting thing to me is that it does match with some very, very deep instinct in, in the human heart. I mean, so many cultures have stories of redemption. Hmm. Uh, they, have, they have stories, you know, of, of evil things, of, of, of wicked witches and uh, stepmothers and so on. And then there's the fiery godmother or there's the there's something miraculous at the end which transforms and and goodness ultimately triumphs i mean this is the story of so many disney mm. movies isn't it it's, it's the stories of so many it's harry uh, potter yeah lord yeah. of the rings <laughs> yeah uh, and it's... why are these things so insanely popular hmm. uh because it does match uh, I suppose the superheroes, you know, the, the, Marvel, the Marvel heroes. Yeah, story, absolutely. Yeah. It's the same story it's... retold in a thousand different ways because it speaks to us in an incredibly deep and meaningful way. You know, even in the kind of primary colours kind of dumbed down version you might find in a Marvel superhero film, it's still that we cannot help, I think, but be drawn in and compelled by a story of, you know, when all seemed lost, when it looked like bad things were going to win, at the last moment, uh, a heroic individual steps into the mess and brings about a miraculous transformation. And in the end, you know, out of the jaws of defeat, we find a, an amazing victory out of the depth of evil. Some incredible good is discovered and that can reverse and transform and undo and restore. And um, that story is just innately compelling. So so here's the, the fascinating thing, isn't it? This is a story which, which is just written into the human heart 
but which just seems like a fairy tale. And then what Christianity is is claiming is that the fairy tale is true. Mm. Uh, and rather, there's words of Pascal who said that you should present uh, the Christian faith in such a way that good people would wish it was true and then show them actually it is true. Mm. Uh, it, and, and, that's, and that's in a way what this story is, isn't it? It sounds like a Disney story. Mm. A God steps in and good triumphs over evil. But actually, it's true. Do you think that makes it hard to convince people today that it is true? Are we all too cynical to to believe that, you know, we might love this story when we see it on the on the silver screen or in, in our comic books or whatever, but that we feel like that's where it has to stay? Do, do you find, you know, when we tell non-believers this is actually what Christianity believes, this is actually what we're living for, this incredible good news, do, do you think people are just too cynical to buy it, buy it these days? Well, unfortunately, we've got a lot of history to contend with, haven't we? I mean, I think this is the big difference or one of the big differences between the era of the early church, you know, when, when Christian, the Christian story, Christian morality, it just burst into the Greco-Roman world with utter astonishment because this was, this was so transparently a better story, mm. a better narrative than anything than the classical Greek or Roman worlds had to offer. And, and, you know, just at that human level, that's part of the explanation about why it, it sweeps across the, the known world um, in, in a very dramatic expansion just over two or 300 years. The difference with this era is that we're in the wreckage of Christendom. We've had 2,000 years of this story. And sadly, the story's been highly distorted um, you know, it's often been a story back of the fall, or at least it's it's presented that way, that the fall triumphs, actually. There's so much abuse, there's so much uh, bad stuff that it is argued that, that, that Christendom has brought into the world. And therefore, there's a credibility gap, isn't there? If, if we're trying to say, you know what, you know, this is the answer to so many of the things we're struggling with, you know, there's a kind of hollow laugh because mm. of the history of Christendom. Yeah. And so how do you think we then take this story? I guess, how do we make it more credible and more believable? Is it by showing it has kind of explanatory force, showing that it actually aligns with the world as we find it, but it also gives us answers. It gives us a path forward when we are wrestling with the challenges and the crises we're facing in the 21st century it's a really good question and i you know i I don't have any simple answers but i do have one conviction and that is that interestingly if you if you look at how the 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 good news about jesus spread in the first three centuries interestingly it wasn't primarily through uh professional christians it wasn't primarily through people like paul and the apostles doing their evangelism i mean what the church historians say is that the primary way in which uh, the gospel spread was down the trade routes uh, and that as christianity was spread there's often people people gossip the gospel um churches spring up as you go down the trade routes in other words, it's ordinary lay people 
living their lives and demonstrating the reality of Christ in their own lives and living out the gospel in practical terms. I very much feel the same is true for the 21st century. You know, if you go back into the 20th century, you could see that people like uh, Billy Graham and other these great uh, evangelists, you know, they, they were capable of standing up and and proclaiming, preaching the gospel, and, and thousands of people could turn to Christ. Uh, hmm. That isn't happening in the 21st century. And the reason, I think, is, is a lot to do with the cynicism the suspicion, hmm. uh, the, the abuse scandals, and all the rest. So I think the 21st century, above all, is a time for lay people. It's for lay Christians in the way they live. It's putting it into practice. It's not clever apologetics and and uh, sophisticated arguments. It's primarily to do with living changed lives and demonstrating redemption, hmm. demonstrating by the way they live that good can come out of evil, that, that, that good can triumph over evil. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help us keep these resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable Going Strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash matters of life and death. That's premierinsight.org forward slash matters of life and death. Thank you. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. And I think that last thing about demonstration is really important because, again, something that's quite profound and, you know, possibly even unique about the Christian kind of salvation story is that it's not just a kind of uh, a thing that happened once that we then learn about and say, I believe in it or I don't believe in it, though it is that. But it's also we are invited into the story to to live out cross-shaped lives, to work out our salvation, to to be agents of redemption with a small r as we, um, you know, uh, celebrate and enjoy and live in our own redemption, capital R, that our small stories can become a kind of cameo of the bigger story that we've been telling that actually doesn't even begin with Jesus. But, you know, the Bible says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. This is a kind of cosmic story that god that has been eternally true in some mysterious inexplicable way and then god through creation 
you know, you use the language before we were talking about this about creation as a kind of theatre for this drama of redemption and salvation to unfold. Um, you know, I remember being being told as as a teenager that you know what we got to understand it's not that that the um, you know God initially created this perfect world. There was this Garden of Eden, and it was all going smashing. And then, unfortunately, in a completely shocking turn of events, Adam and Eve decide to to reject God. Bring they fall, bring sin into the world, and then God goes back to heaven, scratches his head, and comes up with Plan B because Plan A failed, and Plan B is this rescue mission two thousand years ago in the person of Jesus. But actually, the the Bible says the Lamb was somehow slain at the creation of the world. Our names are written into the Lamb's book of life before creation. And so this is actually all part of a grand narrative. And yet we are also drawn in both through time and space and in our own discrete historical lived experience right here in 2023 to live lives that kind of speak of that redemption. Yeah, and I find this deeply mysterious, but but also wonderful, this idea that that, uh, it it seems that there was something that that even came before the Big Bang, that came before the the origin of the cosmos, that came before the foundation of the world. And that was, it seems to me, the story of the cross, a story of inexplicable evil, which God, by his uh, power and, and, and love and grace, transforms into blessing and healing and the origins of that story the origins of evil is never explained it's it's one of those ultimate mysteries and yet as you say you get these hints about the fact that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth and that our names are written in the lamb's book of life and, and this is a pascal lamb so so the story the story of the cross is already there and so Perhaps that's why we shouldn't be surprised that this uh, this story of redemption, the, the cultural story of of death and rebirth, uh, uh, is deeply rooted everywhere. It's it's actually because the cosmos is a kind of theatre for this great story, and then God God's plan is to write this same story, this mysterious story of inexplicable loss transformed into blessing and healing um, into our own little lives. And the, certainly that's, that's happened in my own life. Um, and I, and it's happened, I can see it happened in many other people's lives that of a sudden encounter with an ex, inexpressible, inexplicable suffering. And yet bit by bit recognizing that God can bring blessing and healing out of this inexplicable tragedy and and then it seems like my little story is somehow caught up into the big story mm. uh, I, I become a participator in uh, as, as Paul talks about participating in the sufferings of Christ um, and there's, there's something deeply mysterious there but 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 it's touching something, I think, a profound spiritual reality. Because I think a lot of Christians feel uncomfortable about this line of thought because they start to worry that, you know, we somehow saying that we are kind of also like Jesus being 
slain and risen and are we are we kind of threatening the uniqueness and the singularity of calvary um when we talk about about our stories becoming part of the bigger story and us being drawn up into the redemption that christ brings well certainly i think that is a risk uh, and and it, it's very clear you know that orthodox biblical theology says that Jesus's death was unique uh, and because he he was God in human form uh, who enters into suffering and death in order to redeem it so so yes his death is utterly unique and yet there is this constant theme of um, somehow participating of sharing in Christ's sufferings uh, you can, there are several times you can find in the New Testament. One that comes to mind is where Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And as I've, I've been pointed out, it's the wrong way around. You know, you would think it you know, starts off with suffering and then we have the power of the resurrection. But Jesus, But Paul says, no, actually, if you want to know God and know Jesus, it starts off with the power of the resurrection. You don't get anywhere without resurrection life but then as we move on getting to know Jesus more we discover what it means to suffer with him and our, and the ultimate goal is that we should be like him in his death you know so so there's an identification in some way between our little lives and that that great example uh, and and in that sense, I think participation is is a deep spiritual reality. And it seems to me that you know the task, the church's task of kind of building God's kingdom is is in a way about um, you know lots of lots of little redemptions. You know, every individual Christian story is a story of redemption about how we were saved. But then after that, you know, you you're, we're raised with Christ, and and then we're you know we're 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 set free from sin and, and death and everything in order that we can then, you know, get to work in living the way of Jesus, which is, you know, a lot of little redemptions in, in small and tiny and bigger ways. And, you know, your career very neatly <laughs> demonstrated that by, you know, using the power of medicine in a neonatal unit to bring, um, you know, life if a tiny premature baby's out of the brink of death or even in the tragedy of death to bring to, to offer hope and comfort to grieving parents. And it's, you know, maybe harder to see if you're a, a jobbing journalist working in your spare room on a laptop. <laughs> okay, so but... how's it redemptive? What's how's your yeah, how's your work question. redemptive? Well I liked you know, we live to be to be kind of slightly ponderous and earnest, we live in an era of of untruth and of um confusion. And so I think to dedicate yourself to telling people true, telling people true stories, to to verifying what, what is true and what is false, to explaining to the the how the world, what is actually happening in the world to people, is a tiny form of redemption. It's about taking this kind of morass that we see on social media and even increasingly in the real media of confusion and and lies and fighting and hatred and saying actually out of all of this mess you can draw out truth. Um, and it's sometimes uncomfortable truth or unpleasant truth, but actually, I think it is a redemptive act to to kind of tell true stories about what is really happening. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And and also, I think that, you know, that it's very easy, isn't it, to collapse into cynicism or mm. despair. Um, it, it, that's a superficially quite attractive option, you know, to just say in the end, it's all rubbish, it's all corrupt, mm. it's all hopeless. And, and to refuse to fall into that level of cynicism and despair to hang on to believe it is possible for the truth uh, to triumph it is possible for uh, technology to be used in a redemptive way and and to fight for that and to believe in it and to uphold it that I, I, I think you know that's a voice of hope in, in mm. what so easily can be one of total despair. And I think that's fundamentally the question we should be asking when we are, you know, as we try and do in this podcast and in future episodes, looking at t- tricky ethical issues and, and unsettling developments and saying, how can this be redeemed? How can this become an agent of redemption? You know, whether it's artificial intelligence, how can we redeem this technology? Or whether it's, um, you know, IVF, how can we redeem this technology? Or how can we be agents of redemption in an epidemic of loneliness or of mental ill health and and actually redemption as you say it challenges us away from pessimism but it also i think gives us a a path as christians to walk you know that's not about quietism and but it's about active engagement because you know you cannot redeem something by sitting on the sidelines and carping about it you've got to get in there get up to your knees that's what christ did he didn't sit there abstracted away from from creation but he he came as we are remembering in this Christmas season, he came as a human being just like us, full of all of the the sorrows and hurts and brokenness that we experience so that he could take this um, this brokenness and redeem it. And I think that's how, how that has to be our posture, our redemptive posture when we are trying to, to, to understand and to chart a way forward. It's constantly ask the question, how can we redeem what we're finding, what we're seeing in front of us, what our age is throwing up? Yeah, absolutely right. And there's another aspect, again, before we finish, I'd just like to flag up, uh, and that is, again, incredibly relevant at this time, at the Chris, uh, Christmas time, and that is the concept of the incarnation mm. is, is also part of the this, this story of redemption. Uh, and, of course, this is the idea that, and again, the, the ludicrous idea it, that God could turn himself into a human baby. Um, utterly outrageous, um, you know. In, in when when the first Christian preachers, like Paul and Peter, started uh, talking about this, uh, it was just met as being offensive. Um, mm. the, the idea that the God of the cosmos turns himself into one of these pathetic. Uh, you know, vomiting, <laughs> pimply, <laughs> and squitting baby. I mean, you know, a real baby, not not a kind of Christmas cherub. Um, mm. This is just offensive. This is. I mean, you can imagine what Plato or Aristotle <laughs> would have would have made of this. Yeah. Incomprehensible, and, uh, absolutely incomprehensible. Just, just, but also distasteful. Yeah. Um. And and yet, it's such you know, 
a ludicrous idea. And yet here as we come up to, to Christmas time, there are going to be literally billions of people across the planet who are going to be celebrating God turning himself into a baby. And, and so again, the, there's something profoundly redemptive here that the pathetic, broken human body hmm. can become a, a revelation of God himself. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and so humanity, instead of being the barrier between us and God, actually becomes the means by which God is revealed. Hmm. It kind of, our bodies have almost been kind of sacralized by the incarnation because God himself in the person of Jesus deigned to, to um, step into our kind of humanness, our bodiliness, you know, we therefore cannot be dismissive and treat our, our physical fleshly substances kind of cheaply because it's the same atoms that, that somehow contains the, th- the second person of the, of the Godhead, you know, that we, we can't, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's both astonishing, but it also it has really lasting ramifications, I think, for all kinds of ethical issues, you know, obviously in, in medical questions about, you know, bodies and, you know, issues about transgender and all this stuff, like how we think about our bodies has to be coloured always by the fact that our redemption came through God, the God-man Jesus. That's right. And um, it's interesting how often in as, as thought forms develop, Time and again, there's a kind of new attack on humanity and on the human body. And, and I see this happening very much with, in, in the world of technology and particularly with artificial intelligence, because there's this increasing idea that actually the human form and the human brain is, is distinctly inferior mm. compared to what we can create in silicon. And, and that basically, you know, humanity is, is, a, is, a, is being superseded by far more efficient and attractive and effective um, machines. And, and so, again, I think there's a need to push back and to celebrate and say there is something even more wonderful than a super intelligent computer. Hmm. And that is the human body, because this is the form in which God became flesh. And this ties into our first episode on kind of creation doctrine, where we spent a lot of time talking about the goodness of creation and how Christians need to kind of recapture that and, and reject strains of thought, which which are suspicious of creation. And I think in the same way, we need to kind of reject, you know, a kind of Gnosticism or a platonic kind of dualism, which says, you know, spiritual things are good and material things are bad because the incarnation and redemption, the story through of Jesus' redemption kind of tell the lie to that idea that, that um, you know, the greatest good thing would be to liberate ourselves from this, these earthly fleshly prisons and, and, and somehow become pure spirit. And actually, you know, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus remains incarnate to this day. He hasn't, he hasn't left behind this strange 33 year experiment and gone back to being pure spirit, but he is, at the right hand of the father still in the same physical body that would be recognizable to those disciples bearing the scars and and that has to um that has to shape our own approach to 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 a lot of ethical issues i think yes and there, there is a kind of new form of gnosticism 
uh, around, you know, the, the original form of Gnosticism was around in the first few centuries of the Christian era. And uh, it's interesting that the, the church fathers and the early Christians spent a great deal of energy attacking Gnosticism and pointing out its its errors because I think they saw it as a threat because it seemed superficially, super spiritual. It seemed to offer a kind of an attractive, super spiritual way to live. Mm. And and they attacked it very strongly on the grounds of the goodness of, you say, of the body. And I think there is a kind of modern Gnosticism, a techno-Gnosticism, which, which again sees a kind of an attractive way of, of, of going beyond the body, uh, of either living in some kind of virtual reality, uploading your mind into a computer, uh, finding some way of transcending this phys- physical, material uh, body. And I, I suspect, again, that, that, you know, that, that we're going to have to make the case uh, to argue for the fundamental goodness that that God's God's plan is not to supersede uh, the body; it is it is ultimately to be transformed, and in, uh, in and that ultimately, and this is the final bit of the chapter, and perhaps we should close on this. You know that that uh, the resurrection is part of redemption, but it's actually pointing towards uh, the next and final stage. And uh, as Peter says, that it's John, the Apostle John says that when we see him, we shall be like him. Uh, When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Hmm. Good. Well, that seems uh, a good place, tantalizing, teeing up our our fourth and final chapter of this uh, big picture story of creation, which we probably won't be able to get to until the new year. But looking forward to talking about new creation and what that has to say about our our current uh, technological, scientific, ethical moment that we're trying to navigate our way through. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, hope that was interesting. Please do keep on emailing in your your questions, your thoughts. We'd, we'd love to hear um, your feedback about what we're talking about. Um, you can email us, molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Um, and you can also find lots more of uh, Dad's writing, some old sermons and books and things on on, on theology and, and christian christianity uh, on his website johnwyatt.com so do take a look at that um but otherwise we will speak to you next week with another episode bye-bye you've been listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable 